0: Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, draw near evermore toward us by Your Spirit and by the dwelling of Christ in our hearts. Help us to know You more deeply through Your Word. Plant it within us. Renew us inwardly and outwardly. Cause our hearts to desire You more deeply that our actions and our thoughts would then come in alignment with that love that you have planted in us for yourself. Help us, O Lord, to know you and to rejoice in the work that you are doing in us, in our midst, and around us, that all might know Jesus Christ through what you are doing. All of this we do ask through your very Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's book, Paralandra, I've mentioned it before, the protagonist, Ransom, is confronted with the reality that it is up to him in some way to stop the unman who is the villain of the story. You see, Paralandra is a recasting and a retelling of the story of paradise. God has created a new paradise on the planet of Venus. And there he has placed his Adam and Eve, and the tempter has invaded. And knowing that that tempter was coming, he sent a man ahead named Ransom to be there, to resist, to fight with this tempter who is called the Unman. You see, he's been attempting to lead Eve, the Eve of that Paralandra, into the first sin. But she has rebuffed him over and over and over. But Ransom fears that she is slipping Ransom himself has attempted to help by arguing against the unman, but has helped little up to that point in the story. He considers his options, and in considering them, he begins to argue with himself. He starts to argue with him, within himself and, he, and also with the Lord himself, who is a voice speaking to him from outside while he's sitting in the darkness. His inner dialogue is telling him, You've done everything. You've accomplished all that can be accomplished. You've done your best. And having done your best, if it still fails, when you return to earth, you can ask for forgiveness because you understand that Jesus has died for the sins of the world. You can receive forgiveness. And things will work out. Things worked out in our world, didn't it? Jesus took care of our sin. Somehow, God will take care of the sin that could happen in Paralandra. So it'll work out even if you fail. Ransom is ready to succumb to this argumentation. He's ready to give up. He's ready to just throw in the towel. But something happens. He begins to argue more and more, and he comes to realize that it's not just about having done his best, but continuing to do his best. Through all of this, he's seeing these parallels between Paralander and with Earth. <laughs> But there's a difference in these two situations. One, Eve didn't have anyone alongside her fighting against the tempter. And here, the Eve of Paralandra, the Queen of Paralandra, she has Ransom there alongside her trying to help her to resist. And then the greatest difference in both of these situations. For Paralandra, it is occurring after the incarnation of God Himself. It is happening after Jesus has come into this world. And he realizes that Jesus has changed everything about what can happen now. Yes, He is right. If Paralandra fell, God would fix it. God would do something glorious to redeem that planet just as He did something glorious to redeem earth. But with the changes that have come with the incarnation, the way that God works has deeply changed god has sent someone else to help ransom realizes that while god acted in jesus by becoming a man becoming man meant that god had united himself to humanity that man was united to christ through faith that means that though ransom feels alone he is not for god himself is there with him jesus himself is there with him he has been united to him And he's never been alone in that struggle. The whole time he has been fighting and been resisting and been arguing, Jesus himself was there with him. With that resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, God the Father no longer works on his own in Jesus. He works through us because we have been united to Christ. And that's the deep truth that comes into Ransom's mind as he's arguing with himself, as he's listening to the Lord speak to him, that wherever he is, Christ is there working. Christ is there alongside him. Christ is there united to him. And thus, there in Paralandra, Christ is not absent. Christ has been there the whole time through ransom. Jesus is working through ransom to save this planet from the fall. Ransom will be the one that God acts through the one that Jesus acts through. And now that resolve, that thought, that realization gives Ransom the resolve to keep fighting, to keep doing what must be done, to keep pushing against the unman and to push himself forward through Christ as the one who will deal with the Satan, the one who will work to crush the head of the serpent in this new paradise known as Paralandra. And all of this is part of our story Today. Because the reality is the part that I want to emphasize in what we've heard today from our gospel is that where we go, Jesus goes. That was what was happening in this fantastical story of Paralandra and that's what's happening in our text today. That where the disciples are going, Jesus himself is going. Jesus goes with his people wherever they happen to go. And so in all of this, there at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 10 of the gospel of St. Luke, the Lord sends out His disciples. He sends out 72, or maybe it's 70. We don't know which number it is. The evidence, the manuscripts, kind of play out evenly. Some say 70, some say 72. And there's a reason. There's actually a legitimate reason for this split in the textual evidence. It's because of what the number 70 and the number 72 represent ultimately. On one hand, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 11, Moses is overburdened with all the work that he is having to do to lead and judge Israel. And so Yahweh says, Go and call 70 elders out of the nation, out of the people, and I will place my spirit upon them, and they will help you in taking care of the people. And so Moses does that. He calls 70 to them, and the Lord pours out his spirit upon them. And then way back in Genesis 10... In the listing of the nations as the descendants of Noah, there are seventy nations listed, which is the basis of seventy languages according to the according to the rabbinic tradition. And so, seventy has a very biblical precedent here. There are seventy elders, there are seventy nations, there are seventy languages. However, Those 70 elders went out to Moses, but then the Spirit fell on two other elders who did not come out, who were still in the midst of the camp, and they spoke and they prophesied, and they were gifted with the Spirit just as much as the other 70. And so there were 72 elders actually anointed with the Spirit. Thus making 72. But then there's something else in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In that table of nations in chapter 10 of Genesis, there's not 70 nations listed, but there are 72 And so, for those following the Greek Greek Old Testament, 72 is the number of nations and the number of languages. But then in a non-biblical incident, it is believed in tradition that there were 72 Jewish translators translating the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. And so, 70 and 72 are both equally valid. They both have biblical precedent. 70 elders, but there were two extra making 72. 70 nations, but yet... There's also listed 72. But ultimately, that point is that 70 or 72 is representative of God sending his word out to the nations. That's what they're doing. Jesus is up in Galilee and he's sending his people before him to go into the places that he will go to eventually. That he will go forward in and bring his own word and they are taking his word in advance. In Galilee isn't a huge area. It's very easy for them to then go out into the Gentile areas to be telling people about the work of Jesus. In the previous chapter, in chapter 9 of Luke and also and over in Matthew 10, Jesus sent the twelve out. And he told them specifically, Go to no one but the lost sheep of Israel. Do not go to the Gentiles. Here he gives no such command to the seventy-two. He tells them to go forth and carry His Word into all these places that He's sending them. That they go out two by two to be perfect witnesses in a court of law. To go carry this Word forward. And so they go out and they go forward into the world. To the nations He is sending them. As we go on in this text, that's just verse 1 that I just talked about. So much packed into verse 1 of the work of Jesus for us. The rest of this will go by a little more quickly. But he tells them the harvest is plentiful. There's a great harvest coming, but there are few laborers. So pray for more and more laborers to go out. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send and call forth laborers. Immediately my thoughts always jump to Pentecost, for that was fulfilled at Pentecost. Pentecost, that harvest that festival of the first harvest. The people bring in their grain harvest, their tides of their grain offerings to the temple. And the Spirit is poured forth. And thus, the people of God, who have known Jesus, expand from 120 to over 3,000 people in a single day. Suddenly, that great harvest before all the people that is the world gets filled up with new laborers, more laborers, and over and over, as the Spirit goes forth, Laborers are created. They are harvested and sent forth further into the harvest as the world becomes and comes to know more and more what is happening. Jesus sends them into the world. And even more as He tells them that they are going to be as lambs before the wolves, for me, this cinches the concept of it being about the nations. The 70 going out. The 72 going out to the nations. In one of the Midrashes a Hebran. Uh, rabbinic commentary on Scripture. They say that mighty is the Lamb who can defend Himself against the 70 wolves. Wolves representing the nations of the world. 70 of them, in fact. But it goes on to say, but mightier is the shepherd who can protect that lamb against the wolves and destroy the wolves. The wolves are the world. The 70 is the number that is out there. And so Jesus is sending his people out as a lamb to go forth into this world full of 70 wolves, to go and change those wolves, to speak the word of the gospel to them, to begin that fulfillment of the gospel of Christ for the world, to call out of the world those who are gods. And so they go forth carrying nothing with them. They are sent into the world as the representatives of Jesus, as the representatives of God, as the representatives of the kingdom, out into the Gentile world, into the world beyond Israel, to be as lambs before these wolves. But the the shepherd is mightier than the lambs, and he goes with them. He will be with them. He will guard them and protect them. As they go out trusting only in the work of God in them, they take nothing with them. No extra bag, no extra tunic, no extra money bag, no sandals, and they don't greet anyone for there is an urgency in what they are doing, going out and being sent forward. And wherever they go, they are to speak the Word of God, they are to bring healing, they are to bring teaching, and they say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near. We come to understand more fully what that kingdom of God is, for we're they go, Jesus goes. Cause Skipping ahead in verse 16, Jesus says, The one who hears you, hears me. When the people receive the word of the gospel, when they receive the healing that comes through the work of Jesus, they are receiving Jesus through those people that are coming to them. So as these 72 disciples go out and they preach the word of God and they call for people to come to repentance and they say, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And the people receive it, they are receiving Jesus. They are hearing Jesus' words through them because they are united together. Jesus goes with them to bring the kingdom. And where the word of God is preached, the kingdom of God there has come near. For the kingdom of God is not some concrete reality in this world right now, but the kingdom of God is ultimately the active reign of God the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. As God comes and reigns over our hearts based on the work of Jesus and the Spirit dwelling in us, the kingdom of God lives in us and works in us and extends out beyond us to reach to other people. And that is what these people are doing. As they go forward, the kingdom of God is going because Jesus is going, because Jesus is ultimately the kingdom of God, for He is the one that God's reign is perfectly active in. He is the one man who's The reign of the Father is perfect in, for He is God Himself. And He brings God's reign into us by uniting Himself to us. And we bring that reign of the Father through Jesus to others by carrying Jesus forward with us, by bringing that union before their eyes and proclaiming to them a call to repentance, a call to live, a call to turn to Jesus. And the kingdom of God comes near whenever that is proclaimed, for God's reign is coming near. But for those who reject, the kingdom has still come near. Though the people will then swipe the dust from their feet, they'll still say the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has been proclaimed and God himself has been here for Jesus has come with us. When we are rejected by the world, the kingdom of God has still come near to the world. When the word of God is rejected, the kingdom has still come The kingdom will ultimately come. The kingdom will always come. Despite the rejecting cities. Despite those who would want nothing to do with it. And in fact, Jesus goes so far as to mention three of the most wicked cities in the Old Testament. Between verse 12 and verse 16. He mentions that it will be more bearable on on the day of judgment for Sodom itself. Than for those who reject his word here in Israel. For those who reject the word that these 70 disciples are bringing. For Sodom did not have the indwelling presence of Jesus in Lot and his family or in the angels. Thus their sins can be, in that sense, less terrible. For they did not understand in their lack of hospitality through the fact that they wanted to literally sexually assault the men who had come into their town. Is still more bearable in judgment for them than for those who come after, who are given the light of Christ, who are given the very presence of Christ in their midst through God's people. But even more so, Jesus mentions Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Jewish strongholds in Galilee. And He says that the works done in you would have converted Tyre and Sidon two more Old Testament cities, pagan cities, who imported pagan worship, idol worship, into the northern kingdom and ultimately down into the southern kingdom and flooded Israel with idolatry. Their sins is great. Their sin was greater than great. For they led the people away from God by introducing foreign gods to them constantly. But for these Jewish cities, Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida, their judgments will be harsher for they have rejected the kingdom of God in their midst. Because Tyre and Sidon, had they witnessed the kingdom of God coming into their midst in the very presence of the God-man Jesus would have repented of their idolatry. They would have repented of the sin of exporting that idolatry. They would have turned and set cloth and ashes seeing the glory of the kingdom of God coming to them. But these three Jewish cities have rejected the greater witness and they will be brought down. They will be treated worse than Tyre and Sidon at the end. And even more, Capernaum is compared to the king of Babylon from Isaiah 14. 14. For it says there about the king trying to lift himself up to heaven, but instead God will cast him down into death, into Hades and into hell. And Jesus applies that to Capernaum, one of the places where he spends a huge amount of time in ministry. He says, you're just like the king of Babylon trying to exalt yourself into heaven, but instead the Lord will cast you into Hades, just as he did to the king of Babylon. These Jewish cities who have the covenant, who have God in their midst by that covenant have become worse than Gentile cities who didn't even know who God was. That is the condition that is coming upon the people of Israel as they hear the kingdom and reject it, they become more and more blind to that reality, to the reality of God in their midst. And when they reject the gospel, when they reject these disciples, they reject Jesus. And when they reject Jesus, then they have rejected the Father. These rejecting cities are rejecting God the Father Himself who has sent Jesus into this world, who has then sent these disciples into the midst of the people. And so where Jesus goes, His people are sent. And where His people go, He goes with them. Jesus sends us and He goes with us. And thus, when we are rejected, He is rejected. And when He is rejected, the Father is rejected. And so we are perfectly united. We are brought together with who Jesus is. With His work, united to Him in all the places that we go. For these 72 or 70 disciples, they went forth into the world representing that sending forth of the Gospel into all these places that Jesus would go. Considering that we have no reference of Him going to at least 35 of these cities that they probably went to in North Galilee, there throughout Galilee... There's something beautiful in it saying that these were all the places Jesus was going to go, especially since it's Luke who mentions this. For in the book of Acts, Luke says, These are the continuing works of Jesus. After he had finished all these other things in my previous book I wrote to you, Theophilus, here is what he continued to do after he was ascended. That Jesus goes forth united to his people in the book of Acts throughout the world. And so all those places that he didn't get to go to during his earthly ministry, He still goes to through His people. He brings Himself out through His people to all of those that did not get to hear Him during His earthly ministry. Jesus unites Himself and goes where we go because He receives joy in doing that. He receives joy in sending forth His Word through His people by His Spirit into the midst of the wolves to change the wolves to destroy the wolves and turn them into lambs. For we were all once wolves, rejecting the Word of God until He laid hold of us and killed us and put us to death and brought us back to life as His lambs, that He would be our shepherd, that He would guard us and protect us and send us out to do what must be done. And the great things that they were able to do is described in 17 through 20. He simply says, the 72 returned, The demons are subject to your name, Lord. And Jesus says that makes sense because I saw Satan fall while you were gone. I saw him being overcome. I saw him being cast out from heaven in the work that you were doing. And likewise, in all the work that we do in this day, as we push back against the forces of Satan, as we live our lives and resist the demonic influences and the temptations that come upon us, it is like Satan being thrown down out of heaven. For His authority over us is being broken little by little more and more as we follow after Jesus, as we fulfill the callings and the vocations that Jesus has given us by His Spirit and given us His Spirit to lead us forward. Satan is being cast down from heaven. And we're given authority over these spirits, over these demons, over these evil and wicked influences that we can tread over them and crush them like we would crush serpents and scorpions. And we have power over the enemy that the enemy can no longer hurt us as we draw near in faith as we follow and believe and trust the work of Jesus on our behalf and receive His grace and receive His blessings more and more. We will go forward and crush the enemy because Jesus has already crushed the enemy for us. We crush the remains of that enemy. But Jesus reminds us that it's not merely in that crushing of the enemy that we rejoice We don't just rejoice in the fact that we can resist the demonic influences around us and around those we love, but we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Don't take that as an either-or statement. Don't rejoice in this other thing, but rejoice in this one thing. The Greek there makes this a statement of don't merely do this one thing, but more importantly, do this other thing more so alongside it. So yes, we can rejoice that we can resist the evil one. But we resist the evil one because our names are written in heaven. Our names are written for, by God in His book of life. And thus, our names being there means that we have been given His Spirit that we were then empowered to do the work of God and united to Christ so that where we go, Jesus goes. And thus, it's not my authority that resists the devil, but it is Jesus' authority in me He empowers me and He strengthens me just as He does that for each and every one of you by baptism, by faith, and the filling of the Spirit. He makes you His own. And that is the realization that ransom has in Paralandra. That where He goes, God is going and God is working. That it's not ransom's strength that will resist the devil. It's not my strength. It's not your strength that resists the devil. But it is you resisting the devil with the strength of Jesus with the strength of the Spirit working in you, guiding you, renewing you, pushing you forward, empowering you to do the hard work and the hard labor of believing in Jesus and learning to live more and more in conformity to His law, to His Ten Commandments, to quit resisting His Ten Commandments' work of conviction that we might receive the life of Jesus. The Spirit works in us. We are changed by the Word of God in us that we might then go forward with that Word of God and give it to others to change them. And our collect of the day, I think, sums this up, and this is where I end. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right. The Spirit. Grant us the Spirit that we who can do no good apart from You may be enabled to live according to Your will. Grant us the Spirit, Lord, to do Your will, to live according to it, to be changed by it, to be pushed ever forward to accomplish that which You desire. So may we go forth and rejoice that God has given us His Spirit in such a way that God Himself through Jesus is with us always. Wherever we go, just as these disciples went out, God is with them and He is with us really and truly, not just in an imaginary abstract kind of way, but truly dwelling in You by faith. As we go forth into all the places He sends us, Jesus Himself is there working through us, using us, making us into His people, and making others into His people through us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.